0: This week on Blue 58, a front office star is staying in Green Bay. The rookies are finally at work, and we're putting to bed some nagging questions from our time as football fans. Blue 58! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. We are powered this week, as we are every week, by WTMJ Mobile. I'm your host, John Mierdick, joined today by Gary Zillavy, our steadfast co host. Gary, how are we doing?
1: It's a great day to be great, John.
0: Great day indeed, and we have a great podcast ahead. Let's dive right in with some headlines. This one updating just as we begin to record. Ryan Gutekunst interviewed for the Bills general manager job, but he didn't get it. They're going in a different direction. He will be staying for the time being in Green Bay. This is just a different verse of the same song. One of the Packers' two big front office stars getting an interview with a franchise that's not doing so hot. Elliot Wolf's name came up early on in the Buffalo situation, but eventually they decided they wanted to interview Mr. Gutekunst instead. The Bills, Gary, are in very rough shape and they've been in pretty rough shape for a long time now, probably worse than the 49ers, another team that Gutekunst interviewed for. However, it seems like no matter how bad a situation these teams are in, eventually either Gutekunst or Wolf or both is going to leave. When do you think that's going to happen? John, I think
1: it's probably going to happen when one or the other uh, gets a GM job with, with the Packers. I would imagine, you know, we talked on the site about John Dorsey potentially replacing Ted Thompson, a rumor that uh, Bob McGinn of the Journal Sentinel has, has, has talked about a couple of times, and and if Dorsey isn't the guy, I imagine either Gutekunst or Wolf is a GM in waiting, and perhaps when that call happens and Ted Thompson steps aside, the other one takes the first door out, so I, I think when when the Packers make a decision on Thompson is when uh, Gutekunst store wolf will will leave the organization
0: i agree with that and i don't think anything is going to be imminent because that sort of cycle has has wrapped up for at least this part of 2017 it's going to be at least uh, another few months before people start getting fired probably the end of next season before they have a real another opportunity to get an interview for one of these jobs so it's going to be a little while and like you say probably when something eventually happens with ted thompson Headline number two, Bob McGinn wrapping things up with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Not really retiring, not really, not retiring either. He is, however, leaving the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel to pursue some other interests after more than three decades with the paper. Gary, I don't know if you realize this, but Bob McGinn actually predates the name Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Wow. They didn't merge the Journal and Sentinel until 1995, and he came aboard with the Journal in 1991. Bob is often controversial, more so in his later years, but always very well researched. He contributes, and I don't think people realize this, an enormous amount of information to what we know about the Packers and the teams that they play. His editorial writing did leave something to be desired. It wasn't always as well-founded as the things that he researched, his hard journalism sort of stuff. And I think I ended up tangling with his stuff philosophically more, philosophically more than you did, Gary. But that's, I think, just a, a reflection of the way that we write. You 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 tend to research things a little bit more than I do <laughs> instead of just firing things off. My question, though, to you is how much are you going to miss Bob McGinn even with those controversies?
1: You know, John, it's going to be hard uh, and, and a little strange watching and, and following the Packers next season without McGinn. I, for one, really enjoyed the context that he added to the packers, and I know that, uh, and I know that you did too. it's it's really uh it's It's hard to know exactly you know what the state of the team is who's who's doing well who's not if you're just watching the games there's a lot that happens um under the tip of the iceberg so to speak and and McGinn was really good at conveying uh who who was on the bubble of of breaking out and and who maybe was uh was a little disappointing so going to certainly miss McGinn and and, uh, really interested to see what continues to happen over at uh, with our good friends at Packers News and the Journal Sentinel.
0: Something that has changed the way that I think about Bob McGinn um, is actually a philosophy podcast from a guy named Dr. William Lane Craig. And you can listen to his stuff on a variety of subjects, but he also always refers to everything that's written on a particular subject as data it's not just hard numbers or facts or, or or sound bites or things like that. Everything that gets written about a subject is data. And like I said, in the, as we set up this question, everything that Bob McGinn introduces about the Packers is data that we wouldn't have had otherwise. One anecdote that sticks out to me is that when we are writing our book, Four After Four, which you should check out if you haven't. Um, we could go back into the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel archives or or the old stuff that appears online and read Bob's writing from five, 10, 15, 20 years ago in some cases. And it was the same then as it is now. Bob has always been a very consistent reporter. You can disagree with him on on some of the editorial stuff, but you're never going to find somebody who, who researches as thoroughly as he did. Finally, we turn to actual football happening on the field. It's a little bit strange to say, but yes, indeed, we did have some. The rookie orientation, the rookie minicamp as it functionally is, or the rookie orientation as Coach Mike McCarthy likes to call it, saw some of the Packers draft picks actually on the field. And of those, I think, to me at least, Josh Jones stood out the most. Last week on the podcast, we talked about our favorite picks in the draft, and my particular one was Josh Jones, the safety out of North Carolina State. It looks like the Packers are already trying Jones out at a variety of positions, including linebacker. It could be that he is that sort of uh, hybrid linebacker they've been looking for. Gary, I think that of all the draft picks the Packers made this spring, he may be in a position to succeed the quickest. What do you think about that assessment? Basically, I'm asking you, how right do you think I am?
1: John, you are right about everything. And we should all just take a quick second to thank you for (laughs) always being right. Um, Wow. Oh, weird. Sorry. Uh, Just just. Got taken over for a quick second. Uh, you, to answer your question, I, I do think Jones has an opportunity to th- really thrive on the defense. There's a great chance for him to see the field at inside linebacker. And I think that given uh, what we know about his time at NC State, uh, really making plays when the ball was in front of him. I think that's going to make his skill set translate pretty well at that inside linebacker position. And he certainly has the size to uh to to play at that spot. So, all said, I really like Josh Jones's potential to contribute on the defensive side even more than, say, Kevin King in year one.
0: So I wrote about this on a piece that's that's actually at the powersweep.com right now. Um The reason I think that Jones will succeed earlier or has an opportunity to succeed earlier than maybe some of the other picks is because he doesn't have just one thing that he has to do. I'm interested in your thoughts on this because Kevin King has a pretty specific role, especially as you look at the early parts of the the Packers' schedule next year. Fair or not, he's going to get eventually thrown into the fire against some pretty big-name opposing receivers, Uh, You got Julio Jones, A.J. Green, Dez Bryant all on the schedule next year, and that's going to be his job sooner or later to cover guys like that. That's why they drafted him. Jones doesn't have to do just one thing, and he's not going to get evaluated on just one thing. And I think that's why he's in a position to succeed a little bit earlier than maybe his second-round counterpart, Kevin King.
1: I agree. I think you're dead on there, and I also think that the depth at inside linebacker is really conducive for Jones. Uh, Not not only, uh, I think there's there's less depth at inside linebacker than there is at cornerback on the team.
0: It's worth asking, I think, at some point this offseason, we'll probably have to take a look at this before training camp starts, but there are three guys ahead of him at inside linebacker right now. If you want to pencil him into that position, Blake Martinez, Jake Ryan, and Joe Thomas. Are all of those guys safe? I kind of don't think so.
1: I think Martinez is because he's, he's been drafted the, the most recently.
0: But yeah, and, and Joe
1: Thomas and, is probably the least safe. Jake Ryan probably somewhere in the middle.
0: Joe Thomas seems like he could be the most easily replaced of those three. But then again, it's hard to say at this point in the season. And we're going to have to say see how things play out with a guy like Josh Jones. But that is a, a storyline that we're going to have to keep an eye Early on. Early
1: May. We're already we making so- roster cuts, John. <laughs>
0: somebody and i wondered if it was such a terrible idea actually but somebody did throw out a way too early roster prediction and uh spoiler alert if you happen to be someone who's into that sort of thing they didn't have jeff janice or trevor davis making it at wide receiver for
1: the packers wow
0: bold predictions game changing but then again it is may so nobody's really wrong (laughs) Before we dive into our regular topic here, our full topic, I want to take a second to give you a couple suggestions as to ways that you could support the Power Sweep. You, the listener, I'm talking directly to you right here for a second. It's because of you that we're doing this whole thing. Gary and I started the Power Sweep because we think there's more fans out there like us who think about the Packers like we do, who want more than we're necessarily getting from the, the traditional media outlets. Not saying that they're bad or wrong or doing things poorly. We just think we can bring something different to the table, and we're looking at questions that can be answered in a little bit different way. That's where you come in. You are living proof that an audience exists for this podcast, for our website, and we're very thankful for your support. So, a couple ways for you to maybe take that next step and support us a little bit more. First, share what you hear, share what you read from the Power Sweep and Blue 58 with your friends via social media via email however it is just get it in front of more people that's the way that we've grown the most by just that sort of word of mouth advertising if that's what it is if you see something you like if you hear something you like go ahead and share it second sign up for our emails we only send out one a week it comes out the day we post a new episode of blue 58 and it'll give you a roundup of some of the best stuff that we've done on the site over the past week as well we promise that we're not going to abuse your email address, and it's really easy for you to sign up. Just go to thepowersweep.com and enter your email on the right side. We're never going to ask you to buy anything, and we don't want to throw out big, exorbitant amounts of money. So if you want to support us financially, there's a couple of ways you can do that, too. We've started a page on patreon.com. That's a site for people who are producing content, and they're looking to connect directly with their supporters. If you find what we're doing to be of value, go ahead and throw us a buck our way via that site. That's all we're ever going to ask for, and we're never going to, to push you for more than that. If you're looking for a little bit more uh, tactile way to support ThePowerSweep.com, we've started a site via Spreadshirt.com, a store where you can check out some of the designs that Gary has put together in terms of sweatshirts, T-shirts, some great stuff there. It looks awesome, and I can't get I can't wait to get my own. At the basis level, though, the most important thing you can do for us is just continue to read and continue to listen to the things that we're producing. You, again, are the reason that we're doing this, and we are so thankful that you're taking some time to do it with us each and every day and each and every week on the site, on the podcast, via things like that. I've heard from actually a lot of listeners and readers recently, and it's been really encouraging, and your questions are great. Keep them coming. Never feel uh, like you should hesitate to reach out. Uh, We're glad that you're reading, and we're glad that you're listening. So if you do anything else, just continue to do that. All right, on with the show. So Gary, sometimes with a game like football, there are things that you just don't quite understand. But the culture of football, the culture especially uh, maybe related to the internet around football is not necessarily the most conducive to asking those questions. And that I don't think is entirely fair because football is a pretty complicated game. And if you didn't play it growing up or in in high school or college, there may not be a lot that you can actually pick up as far as the nuances of the game just by watching the broadcast. So chances are, like Gary and myself, you have some questions. And we're going to try to answer some of those questions that we've gotten today. Gary where have we gotten these questions how how have we come up with these
1: so john we we reached out to a few of our biggest supporters of blue 58 in the power sweep and we asked them a simple question what don't you understand about football but are too afraid to ask maybe some terms that you hear on a broadcast but aren't Properly or very poor, very poorly explained or something that uh, you never knew uh, that, that you hear thrown around. So we've picked our four favorite from that list, and we're going to tackle them tonight. Uh, we're looking forward to this, and and we'll just bounce them off of each other here. So, John, the first one, uh, here it goes. The Packers run a zone blocking scheme on their offensive line. What does that mean?
0: This is a really simple answer. But just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's not important or or difficult to execute from a football complex or from a football standpoint. The quickest distinction between zone blocking and every other kind of blocking is in zone blocking, the offensive line is all working together, basically trying to screen between the running back and the defense. In other blocking schemes, individual offensive linemen are more or less trying to just force individual defenders out of the way. It's all about rules versus numbers. In zone blocking, there are specific rules for what the linemen have to do on a specific play. So what do we do on a particular play when the defensive end and the defensive tackle are aligned in a particular way and so on? And that affects everybody all across the offensive line. All of the linemen have to know what the other guys are going to do for zone blocking to be effective because they're all working together. In a man blocking scheme, you're required to block a specific defender on your own And you're basically trying to get more guys on one side of the ball blocking fewer defenders to carve out some room that way. The goal of most zone blocking is to create what's called a cutback lane for the running back. Essentially, you want to screen the whole defense going one way. Then once you push them slightly out of position, the running back should be able to cut back behind the offensive line for a pretty big gain. Think back to Ryan Grant in his prime. This was a perfect example of how the Packers' zone blocking scheme works at its best. Grant was not a very shifty runner. He didn't have a lot of moves. He wasn't going to juke anybody out, really. But if you look even at his highlights from his time in Green Bay, you can see how he breaks a lot of big runs because the offensive line got everyone moving one way, and he cut back behind them and was off to the races. So that's more or less how zone blocking works. Moving along Gary, why do you think the Packers love their own draft picks so much?
1: Well, John, it's a it's a pretty simple answer, and it comes down to the the shelf life of an NFL player. So, in recent years, we've seen the Wall Street Journal put together some analysis that an average NFL career really is about 4 years now, and 4 years is the length of An NFL rookie contract so when a player's drafted they they sign a contract for for four years and typically that's that's all they're going to play in the NFL on average now another part of why the Packers love their own draft picks is because of the cost that it acquires to to bring a player in that you didn't draft so if you consider uh say the 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 situation the Packers had with TJ Lang at guard this off season, TJ Lang, who's about 30 years old, went to the Detroit lions who paid a very, very steep price to acquire a veteran guard, uh, with some injury issues. And, and that was, that was the market rate. And, uh, the Packers, meanwhile, have have gone through some bargain free agent bins, uh, choices, in Jarry Evans, and some some youngsters that they found through the draft and undrafted free agency, uh, where there's more control, you have them for more years, and they're cheaper. So. It it comes down to how you're going to build your roster and having the most amount of money left over to spend on the Aaron Rodgers, the Clay Matthews, the Jordy Nelsons, the guys who you do pick, who end up being superstars. Now, John, uh, second one for you. Uh, so we talked about zone b- blocking on the offensive line. Now I want to shift to uh, the defensive backfield where you hear a lot about zone and man cornerbacks. Now, besides the scheme difference, and really it's pretty straightforward, like you talked about, zone is an area versus man being covering a specific receiver. Why are some corners better at zone versus better at man?
0: So I think there are a lot of parallels between how zone and man corners operate and how zone blocking and man blocking works as we talked about before. At the basis level, kind of like you mentioned, zone corners are covering an area. But more specifically, like in zone blocking, they have to be working with other defenders to cover their area. While man corners, it's really simple. There's one guy in front of you, make sure that he doesn't catch the ball. You're just responsible for him. It's not really a specific body type or a skill set that makes somebody better as a man corner or a zone corner. I think of a guy like Richard Sherman obviously he he's very physically gifted he's huge for a cornerback but he's very good at man to man coverage and he's very good at zone coverage in part because he just understands things very well understands things very well zone coverage is so much about feel and about understanding relationships between where you are on the field and what other people are doing both on offense and on defense you really have to know So much of how everything works to be really great at zone coverage. So two plays really illustrate the difference between zone coverage for me or zone corners doing things well and man corners doing things well. Last year when the Packers played the Seahawks, uh, there was one particular play where the Packers were in zone coverage and Russell Wilson didn't realize it, or he didn't fully understand what the Packers were doing. Doug Baldwin ran something similar to a seam route up the right side of the field, and it looked like he was going to be open going right into the end zone. Russell Wilson threw him the ball, and it seemed like out of nowhere came Demarius Randall from almost behind the play to make the interception. Now, what happened there is I think what the Packers were in was something called deep thirds. So the Packers had three defensive backs, each playing a third of the field. Randall realized that there was nobody in his particular area of the field and went looking for someone to cover. That just happened to be Doug Baldwin, and he hung in his zone until the quarterback committed with the ball and came over and made the interception. A second play that illustrates how man cornerbacks work comes also courtesy of the Packers. This is an iconic play in Packers history, the the playoffs. Packers against the Seahawks. Uh, It was the we want the ball and we're going to score play. The Packers were in what I, again, believe was something called zero-man coverage. Man-to-man coverage across the board with just one safety playing very deep over the top. You were completely responsible for just the guy in front of you. The Seahawks actually, if you look at the play, seem to realize this and audible... Uh, to a quick uh, a quick hitch route for everybody across the board. Al Harris, playing head up on his guy, realizes this as well, steps in, makes the interception, and is off to the races. It's about areas versus individuals and understanding where you are on the field in relation to what's all going on. Does that make sense? I, I feel like that was a very long explanation for something that's, I, I guess, semi-complicated, but it 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 makes sense if if you can see it. If this is not necessarily the best medium for explaining that.
1: <laughs> I think it makes sense to me, John.
0: Good. And we may have to do something on the, on the site to show a little bit about how this works, because if you can see it, if you can see the full, full field, and this is one of the things that's great about the, the NFL game replay where you can see everybody on the field. You can really see who's good at things like man coverage and zone coverage. Um, The Packers don't really have anybody who's super consistent in zone coverage, and I think that's why you tended to see people running past Demarius Randall a lot. Even though he did make that one great play, sometimes he was not always super clear on handing off to the safety behind him. That's just my theory without really looking at it. We can see if we go back and look at that a little bit more in depth. Finally, a question that's not about football maybe specifically, but how the Packers operate more generally. And Gary, I think you're about the perfect person to ask this question. What does Mark Murphy actually do?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I've had the good fortune of running a pair of 5Ks next to Mark Murphy. So uh, in my experiences, Mark Murphy runs 5Ks with me. Uh, but in his what else what else does he do end of end of podcast thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next week so mark murphy is the equivalent of the owner for the packers and represents the packers organization uh, in the nfl business that uh, is conducted at the ownership level so just like any other normal business the packers too are a business and while they are owned by the fans and owned through stock. They have uh, a committee and an executive board that uh, is the stewards of the organization. And Mark Murphy is the uh, the one who is ultimately responsible for both the business side and the football side of the organization. So uh, Ted Thompson reports to Mark Murphy, as well as all of the staff that works behind the scenes to make sure the brats that you're eating in the stadium are delivered. The beer is cold. The seats are frozen and, uh, and, and do not have backs. Um, and the music is, is Cotton Eye Joe and nothing else. So, only caught my Joe. Eye Joe. Uh, actually, I don't think I've heard it the last few times I've gone, but I, just forever burned in my head. That's the only time I hear that, I hate song. that song. It's so, so much. bad. I hate it it's so nice. bad. Um, the only thing worse is roll out the barrel. But this isn't a Brewers podcast. Oh, I love roll out the this barrel. This isn't a Brewers oh, podcast. How,
0: how often do you use the word Terrell in your oh, daily life?
1: Zing and boom, Terrell. Anyway, Mark Murphy. Uh, he is the Packers equivalent. Of an owner.
0: Good. I guess that makes sense because they, I mean, never mind. It doesn't make sense. They should have me go to all the the business meetings instead. <laughs> I own I own two shares of the Packers. I am an NFL <laughs> owner.
1: Ugh. Well, you know, why don't you write him a letter? See what happens.
0: Yeah, I guess the worst thing that he could do is not write anything back. Actually, that's not true. He could write something back and tell me to not write him a letter again <laughs> or something like that. Gary, I think that's about uh, that's about all we got for today. But before I let you go, while I got you here, I have to talk to you about Bubba Franks. You mentioned Bubba Franks. <laughs> you got to talk to
1: me about Bubba Franks.
0: Can I talk to you about our Lord and Savior, Bubba? Please Franks? Please do
1: lay it upon me.
0: Well, you mentioned him in a, a post about Richard Rogers, and I I had to look up do one of my favorite things and look up uh, Bubba Frank's stats. Yes, it's still true that he is one of the three heaviest people in NFL history to throw a touchdown pass. But that is not what I wanted to talk to you about today. Bubba Frank scored 32 touchdowns in his career in the NFL. That ties him for 15th all-time with Robert Brooks. However, a full 25%, one quarter, of Bubba Frank's career touchdowns came from one yard away from the end zone or less. That means at least eight times in his NFL career, all he did was run less than 10 yards ahead, turn around, and catch a touchdown pass. Gary, I think that's pretty good work if you can get it. It sure
1: is. I think Bubba Franks might be the only NFL player with a negative yards after catch.
0: Oh, boy. He was so – he makes Richard Rodgers look fleet of (laughs) foot. Sure does. Gary, I think that's about a show for this week.
1: I think it is too, John. And let me tell the good people where they can find us. You can check out our website at www.thepowersweep.com. You can find our store with our shirt design and links to our Patreon page there as well. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We are at The Power Sweep in both locations. If you'd like to drop us a quick note, you can do it on those social sites. You can also send us an email. We are ThePowerSweep1959 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, All of your feedback helps John and I make Blue 58 and The Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans.
0: And smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillowy, I am John Mierdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.